everyone, and welcome to The Real. This is Daniel Elwood, and my hetero life mate is Robert Paul Johnson, and we are The Last Nighters. You can find us on the Liberty Movement's YouTube channel, and you can also find us at lastnighters.com. This is going to be our episode on The Matrix. This is the first episode of the month of May, and we're doing episodes of The Matrix all month long. We're going to be doing Reloaded next week, Revolutions the week after that, and then Animatrix. And we also have a couple of specials lined up, one for Cinco de Mayo and one for Memorial Day. So lots of activity coming your way from us here at The Last Nighters. And you find the show notes and more for this one at lastnighters.com slash 174. Now, I'm really excited about this one. We, we uh, Robert and I did an episode of a previous iteration of our podcast years ago, uh, talking about the matrix and some of the themes and how you can kind of like interpret it based on your worldview. And it's, it's almost like you can uh, plug in your philosophy and find parallels and, and things like that in this. So it's going to be a lot of fun this entire month talking about this one. And uh, we're going to introduce our guest. He is Jeremiah of Real on Reels. It is a movie review podcast show that's been on a bit of a hiatus. However, they are really good at doing movie reviews. And uh, he was last on with us a couple of years ago when we did a review of Finding Nemo for Father's Day way back in, what did I say, 2017? Is that what I said? Yeah, 2017. That's a long time ago these days. But uh, Jeremiah, welcome back. We, uh, we appreciate you coming back and uh, joining us after all these long years. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, yeah, I don't know why I, was, it was, I didn't do this for so long. Uh, actually, uh, I think the first time I suggested doing this was probably a couple years ago. <laughs> Just never got around it until now, but uh, happy to be here. Yeah, you know, I think The Matrix is one of those movies that it had such an impact on me in my formative years that it's almost like too much to take on to talk about. Like yeah. it's, e it's easier for me when there's like two or three points to make in a movie and then we can just riff on that for an hour and that's an episode. But when there's like layer upon layer and different interpretations going on, uh, I find that it's a bit more daunting. Yeah, I feel that. Absolutely. Um, I was kind of frantically making notes today trying to figure out um, what exact what's my angle going to be here. And I think I'm just going to take a shotgun approach. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, go scattershot. Why not? Yep. <laughs> so anyway, uh, people can find your past episodes at, uh, we found a link on Twitter, twitter.com slash real on reels. That's R-E-A-L-O-N-R-E-E-L-S. And uh, like I said, you guys did a really great job, uh, you and your co-host, and you had little like segments and, and games, and it was a lot of fun. So I do recommend that people do check that out. We'll have a link for that on the show notes page, which uh, if I didn't mention, it's uh, lastnighters.com slash 174, show notes and more. Yeah, um, Rob, uh, my my co-host and longtime friend, hetero life mate, all that good stuff. He uh, he's the talent. Um, he does like the music and um, pretty much you know taught me how to use the uh, recording software and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's fun to do. Um, he came up with the name, which which bugs me because it's such a good name, and I wish I had thought of it. Um, but it, yeah, I really, I mean, it just encapsulated what we were trying to do because, I mean, at least for me, the vision is kind of like to. Um, to be like kind of revisionists um, or to like maybe bring attention to a film that's underrated or to knock a film down a peg if it, we think it's overrated or, um, you know, we, uh, we planned on doing more debates. Um, we were going to uh, uh, eventually do an episode on um, Boondock Saints because it's pretty, it ranks pretty high up there for me as a uh, movies that I hate. Um, oh, wow. And <laughs> Rob actually likes it. So we're going to, that should be a good one. Um, 
but uh what else was i gonna say yeah it's um oh when we have this kind of like shtick that we're you know we have the real score because we're the our opinions matter more than anybody else's because we're um we've kind of like done the research and put all the pieces together and it's um you know we're the we're the ones who are actually being real with you so um you know they're ridiculous but um in a tongue-in-cheek way <laughs> yeah exactly it's tongue-in-cheek yeah. Now, I, I do want to uh, say that I, I was a, an avid listener and I really enjoyed your Cable Guy episode and also your Young Frankenstein. Those were yeah. both really, really good. And and we did uh, Boondock Saints about the same, roughly the same period we had you on for Finding Nemo. Uh, so that one was quite a while ago. And I think, I forget, Robert, did, did we like that movie? I want to say we liked some some concept of it or the premise, but it wasn't fully executed or something like that. You try and test my memory about something <laughs> on this show? Are you kidding me? I have no idea. I mean, maybe uh, we kind of liked it. I generally have a good feeling about it, but I no movie's perfect. And I think I had, yeah, some issues about the believability of the characters or the acting or whatever. I remember uh, Willem Dafoe's a lot of fun to watch on screen. Yeah, yeah, agree. Circle gets the square on that one. So anyway, everyone check out uh, Reel on Reels and I hope you guys get back to doing additional shows and I appreciate you joining us for this one as we're going to be talking about The Matrix for Matrix, which is our new uh, newly created Festivus of sorts where we're going to be talking about The Matrix movies each week until our demands are met. And uh, we'll start off with the Google description, which I will read presently. So let me see. I got to actually get my eyes adjusted here. Okay, so The Matrix came out in 1999, right on the edge of the future-sounding year 2000 with the Y2K bug and everything like that. It is 2 hours and 20 minutes, got 8.7 out of 10 on IMDb, 88% Rotten Tomatoes, 73% Metacritic, and 90% of Google users liked it, which means 10% of them are wrong. Uh, Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, believes that Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne, an elusive figure considered to be the most dangerous man alive, can answer his question, what is The Matrix? Neo is contacted by Trinity, played by Carrie Ann Moss, a beautiful stranger who leads him into an underworld where he meets Morpheus. They fight a brutal battle for their lives against a cadre of viciously intelligent secret agents. It is a truth that could cost Neo something more precious than his life. Came out March 31st, 1999. Directed by, at least in the credits, it says the Wachowski brothers, but uh, now they go by Lana and Lily. And uh, had a box office of $465 million on a budget of somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 70 to 80 million, no, 63 million estimated budget. So, Robert, let's get your take and your opening salvo on The Matrix, mm. please. Mm. So, we are delving into Robert's top five list. You're going to my number two of all time with the original Matrix movie. I remember being a much younger Robert. Uh, uh, 90 early 1999 seeing the trailer for this movie. I remember I was watching another movie and I saw the trailer for the matrix the, for the first time. And I knew instantly it was going to be awesome. Uh, There's just something about it. The quality level, the, the genre, the, the, the martial arts, it combined so many things that I loved, especially at that time, you know, kicking ass, uh, telling a futuristic story, uh, Using in, in incorporating some philosophy, I, I was a philosophy minor in college. Uh, I don't know if this really had anything to do with it, but it played off of my desire for uh, understanding reality and what you could possibly know and not know. 
And uh, it all came together in this film. Uh, there are so many quotable lines, um, so many fantastic scenes. The, the pacing is probably my favorite. It's probably my best paced movie I've ever seen where every scene does work. There's no wasted time. Uh, it's, it's just a superbly well put together movie. Now I know um, it's not a wholly original idea. Uh, there's that one mother of the matrix lady that thinks that her ideas were totally ripped off. Um, I don't give a shit. It all came together to make this fantastic movie. And the Wachowskis haven't topped themselves since this is their magnum opus. As far as I'm concerned, it's got the not very good Keanu Reeves. It's got the fantastic Lawrence Fishburne. It's got the decent Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, remind me who played agent Smith again. I can't remember, but he's fantastic. Hugo Weaving. Thank you. Hugo Weaving is fantastic in this film who went on to do Elrond in Lord of the Rings movies. But he is, I mean, he, whenever he's on screen, he's fantastic. And Morpheus is on screen. He's fantastic. And uh, the movie is just such a well-told story that it really doesn't, I was mentioning this to Daniel earlier in the pre-show, that it doesn't require a very charismatic lead. He's not, you know, you don't have to get emotionally involved in Neo's story necessarily. You don't have to, connect with him on an emotional level to you know really care about what's happening in the story it's just such an amazing story that you're just i don't know, transfixed the whole time it, it's so good that even to this day i don't know what they're doing with this reboot or part four or whatever it is they're doing i'm glad they're going back to this well maybe we'll see i don't know if they've got some massive brainchild that they just have to do it because it's too good of an idea to pass up. I hope that's the case, but I, I really don't see, you know, this is kind of like a, the princess bride for me where people are like, this is sacrilege. If you come back and you try and remake this for me, remaking this is almost sacrilege. It's, it's almost a perfect film. Uh, I, I'm curious to know what other people have nitpicks about because I've got the rose colored glasses I am almost incapable of seeing this movie's flaws. So I am looking forward to any kind of criticisms. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be the white knight for this film or if I am going to be pleasantly surprised by any criticisms, because I just don't know if I have any other than saying that, you know, some of the acting isn't great. That's right, about all I got. It doesn't need to be great in this movie because, as you were saying, the story is so strong. It doesn't rely on the characters to really move it along. Yeah, and in the movie, you know, obviously it's had a huge cultural impact. I mean, apart apart from the copying of all the the memes and the the um, the bullet time, all the the mass forwarding of the special effects that were copied and made fun of, and that kind of thing. But it's also, you know, and then the culture aspects of the red pill versus the blue pill. But it's such a universal theme that there is this secret knowledge. And once you are exposed to it, the, the, the normies, they don't they don't get it. But you know it and you understand it. And the other people just can't see it. Everybody else is just like an NPC. It allows almost anybody that feels not quite out of, you know, a little bit out of the mainstream to identify with it. And it's just this massive universality that I think 
so many people can some really enjoy it. I remember, I don't know, what was it around 2005, 2006, maybe a little bit later than that. I was watching some Alex Jones clip and he was talking about this movie and he was like asking his guest. Now this movie is so revealing about the new world order. Let me get in my Alex Jones impression. <laughs> uh, this movie reveals so much about the reality of man, or, you know, the world. How could they allow this to even be made? You know, Hollywood, you know, it's revealing all these facts and truths about the world. So, I mean, you can just trans transpose your own philosophies, your own beliefs about the world onto this. The idea that someone's had the wool pulled over their eyes the whole time until the truth is finally revealed to them. And then you feel like you feel like you've been red pilled. Right. And it's a, no matter it's a framework that's almost universalizable based on yeah. anyone's pre-existing belief structure. Right. Whenever you figure out some new knowledge, whether you be on the left or the right or spirituality or philosophy or aliens or whatever it happens to be, you feel like, oh man, man, am I like Neo? What's going on here? Anyway, that's yeah. my opening salvo. No, that's that's pretty good. And I think that was uh, that was generally our take a couple of years ago when we were analyzing this. And it was more from a perspective of that you can basically plug and play any philosophy in this and and identify with the narrative structure of everyone else is fooled. And like there's the scene where he's in the construct and there's the red dress woman and Morpheus is is telling him all of these minds aren't ready to be free. So everyone here is potentially your enemy. Yet at the same time, you're trying to free them. And some of these minds aren't ready to be free. And man, oh man, has that been prophetic for the past year, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah, I can't tell you how many times have we made the point that if someone's salary or someone's emotional well-being depends upon not seeing a, a truth, they will not see it. So there's a line in the movie that says some people are so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will defend it to the death. Yeah, so deeply inured. Yep. Yeah. And that the, it, it, you're right. It is full of just excellent, excellent quotes and lots of uh, you could take any of those quotes, basically, and have a 10 or 15 minute like segment of our show. I'm pretty sure. But uh, let's get our guest involved. Uh, what's your take on the opening and Robert's uh, Robert's points? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I might disappoint you a little bit because I, uh, I agree with all that. Um, it's it. um, <laughs> yeah, it's also my number two film. Uh, thinking of Lord of the Rings as being one film, um, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, because um, it really is what just one long film. Uh, but yeah, Matrix is definitely number two. But yeah, it was it was definitely one of those formative movies. Um, all right, but, but you're not counting I, all three Matrix films, right? Obviously, no, not. you're not doing no, the same we, thing with Lord of the Rings. We won't be, we won't speak of those. Um, <laughs> well, we will next week. Tonight. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, uh, yeah, I actually saw it um, at the drive-in. Um, do you guys remember drive-ins? <laughs> do, you, do you have any near yeah, where you're at? Yeah, they exist. Yeah, they're making a comeback. Yeah. Um, we uh, there's actually a couple pretty close to where I live that are like high ranked, uh, in the country. Um, and, uh, used to go quite a bit, but, uh, yeah, I saw in the drive-in and I, I was confused as hell. Cause I was like 11 or something. Um, and, uh, but I, I, I suspected if I had been a little older, I, it wouldn't have been so confusing. Um, because now, I mean, I, I feel like it, every, everything about it makes perfect sense to me. Um, but, uh, like, in fact, I, that's actually one of the strengths is how they took this high concept 
um, that could have, it could have been a disaster in so many different ways. Um, I mean, it could have been, you know, and some people, I guess one of the criticisms is for, from some people is that it's a little bit confusing. Um, but, uh, but the way that, um, the way that, especially like maybe at the very beginning where you're kind of like, what's the matrix and what's not that kind of thing. Um, but I think that they, they took great pains to make it. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, exposition especially from morpheus but it's like really condensed in a way that is just it makes sense like what everything he says is just like okay so you know um humans are batteries and like you know the and he kind of it kind of gradually builds up to that but um it's because he's kind of like he knows that neo's about to go through the shock of his life but he's trying to kind of prepare him for it a little bit um but it it just uh i think the writing is just does such a good job of not not making it confusing and being like, yeah, this is, this is what's going on. Um, you're, you were plugged in the matrix and now you're not. And, um, so, um, anyway, where was I going with that? But yeah, I, uh, the, the point about it being, um, uh, kind of a blank slate that you can, uh, paste your, your philosophy on, um, is, is spot on. I think that was kind of what they were going for. Um, and, um, I think that, uh, it, it does, um, it is universal. Cause I mean, for a long time, I thought of it in terms of just like, oh, well, they're probably, cause it, cause I was projecting onto it. Like, which I think probably a lot of people do, especially when they're younger and they first see it, they're probably like, oh my God, this is about me in this whatever way. Um, and I was just like, oh, this is about like how they, um, I mean, once I kind of understood it better later, um, this is like the red pill is like understanding that the state is your enemy, um, pretty much. And the whole anarchist volunteers thing. Um, but I'm sure that plenty of people, um, had completely different interpretations based on whatever it was in their life that gave them that kind of like red pilly experience. Um, there could be a lot of different, like Robert said, there could be a lot of different, um, ways that you might have that experience. It wasn't Ron Paul for everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could be learning any kind of knowledge. And as long as you feel like you are some sort of secret, it's, it's, it's you know, it's just not known or understood by the normies. Then right. or if you feel like it's being suppressed in any way, like, oh, the mainstream media doesn't talk about X and I know about X. So what's really going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it I think... Allows- they, they probably were, um, and I don't know where they were at, where the Wachowskis were at in terms of their, um, you know, I mean, obviously they weren't out as trans yet at that point. And I, I don't know where they were at psychologically as far as like understanding who they were. And, but I, I imagine that it was at least part of the inspiration. But if that was the case, they did a great job of not making it about that, about themselves. It was, they made it um, so, um, so accessible. Um, yeah, you know, I actually noticed that in watching it again, that Switch seemed to be aptly named if that was like a breadcrumb they were putting out there. Yeah, um, she was actually, that role was in, was supposed to be played by a man and a woman. The The Matrix Switch was supposed to be a male and the real real world Switch was, was a female, but they ended up deciding to just have the same actress play both. both. Um, but yeah, that was why they called her Switch. Um, but she, yeah, she does have a little bit of that, like androgynous thing going on still in the final cut. So, yeah. 
So another thing I, I wanted to bring up, and I know Robert, this is something you really like, is that they present like a base of rules and then they follow them for the most part. And they're pretty strict to them. They don't break them. They don't uh, contradict themselves in the world that they've built, at least in this first film. They kind of get weird in films two and three. But I think in this one, they, they, they hold pretty true to what they present to you. And that's what makes it also so good because so often films will present l- rules or logic and then go against them or contradict themselves and then not reconcile that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they're rewatching it though. Recently, these past few days, I did notice one thing that, so I will nitpick my own saying that this is a perfect movie. So this is one minor criticism is that in the introduction where there's this martial arts scene with Carrie Ann Moss and she's kicking the ass of these cops and whatnot. And then the, the, the agents appear, they don't just immediately transform into the bodies of the cops that see the Carrie Ann Moss. Whereas in later on in the movie, they're just warping from person to person to person, whoever happens to be in line of sight of Neo apparently, or something like that. So anybody who sees Neo or anybody who sees someone that, that, you know, they're trying to chase. Oh yeah. Like the homeless guy or the helicopter pilot or, or the guy with the cell phone or anybody or the lady with the, the knife in the, in the apartment. Right. They could just warp around. But in the very beginning, they're just like, no, we show up on set. And then we actually like take the time to walk up the stairs and move around and do things to finally get to Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah. Uh, but the, the intro does is a, is a fantastic introduction to the whole world. Yeah. The I, movie I think- is really the story is the storytelling is like a breadcrumbs approach. You are told exactly what you need to know as the story moves along. And then finally you get the full kind of appreciation and understanding of what's actually happening when Neo does. So I, I, I love the way the story is told and it unfolds, but yeah, it does a little bit kind of break its own world somewhat because there's no reason why the agents don't just warp into the bodies of the cops immediately who are fighting her other than, well, we can't have her fighting agents right away. So uh, uh, it's not 100% perfect, but that is such a minor nitpick. I, I really don't fault it for them wanting to breaking their own rules a little bit to tell a good story. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah, but I could see that being an acquired thing or an adaptive thing. It is an artificial intelligence and they're finding new ways of trying to apprehend, you know? So perhaps yeah, they if, had to if like... That was, if that was explained. Sure. Yeah, potentially. Um, but also that that opening scene, I think that they shot that before the movie was fully greenlit. I, I, I'm, I'm harkening back to the cobwebs in the back mm. of my head here, watching like a lot of the behind the scenes documentaries. And they said that uh, they did that opening scene and then showed that to whoever was going to greenlight this. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make this movie. Oh, but that's had- a great. Yeah, that's a great sales tool for sure. Make that spend about 50 grand or whatever and make that. Or what, however much they spent, uh, who knows, probably not very much. And then send them that because that did have the, the, what the, the scorpion kick or whatever it was, not the scorpion kick. It was the jumping up and then credit kid kick or whatever. Yeah. She does like the wall climb thing. Maybe she does the wall yeah. climb, but then she gets to jump up and then the camera moves and pan, pans around her while she's in midair. 
Yeah, which they had to do with film cameras, like an array of like 36 or 48 film cameras, like Nikons, all in this yeah. rig oh, wow. to do that. That's nuts. Yeah, and then and then turn that into you know edited film. It's kind of kind of wild. Yeah, but now these you, days you can do it like with an iPhone or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just do like a what do they call that? Uh, not not artificial reality, but some kind of um. Oh shit! There's a name for it. Um, augmented reality. Yeah, augmented reality. There you go. Thank you. Thanks for bailing me <laughs> no out. The old man getting bailed out here. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's really cool. But, you know, the other thing related to this film and the special effects, it, it certainly was a watershed moment in like in advance. You know, like sometimes there'll be uh, scientific revolutions where you point to a certain like discovery and then it's the new you know paradigm. This seemed to be one of those shifts in paradigm, similar to what Star Wars was in 1977 or whenever uh, for special effects. The Matrix was another one. And, and it changed ever since then how special effects were done unfortunately for the matrix my my eyes of watching it today or yesterday versus 10 or 15 or 20 years ago when it came out they don't look as good i remember being blown away by the effects in this and then i watched it again and i'm like eh it's pretty good but i'm not blown away yeah. which is i feel bad about because this was that breaking the mold but now it's been you know surpassed in many ways uh so that it has lost some of its luster uh robert what's your take on that well i wonder if this next incarnation of the matrix is going to equally be a watershed moment for special effects or if they're more you know interested in telling a good story or if they're just like hey we got this new technology i know like what uh james cameron with his next four avatar or three avatar movies I know he's really pushed the boundaries in terms of what they can model underwater. I guess apparently one of the movies or multiple of the movies take place underwater a lot <laughs> and they've really upped the technology levels of making it look realistic without actually having anybody actually underwater. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but I don't know what they could possibly do or what they have done or what kind of new technologies have invented. But uh, I, I worry based on what the Wachowskis have done since this movie that they don't have a whole lot of new good ideas. I think that they kind of spent their load in this movie. I, I know at the time they said that, you know, this is like every cool idea we've ever had. And they merged it all into this one script and this one movie. And then when it was a huge hit, they said, okay, what are the next couple of movies going to be about? And they were like, what next couple of movies? What? Okay. I guess. Okay. Let's let's think of something. And then we got revolutions and, you know, reloaded. And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about super, those soon. Not super great. <laughs> and I worry. I just I just worry. I mean, he's had or she's had, uh, you know, 20 some years to think about it. But I don't know. I tend to be I, I we also waited, what, 20 years for Dumb and Dumber sequel that was really, really bad. And Bill I, I worry. I worry that it's gonna be like the fifty-year-old person trying to be hip and cool again, instead of just doing their own thing and making something new in this world and showing us something that we haven't seen before. Because they actually have a real good idea and they're really gonna push something forward again. I tend to think that it's like them trying to relive their youth. You know, it's like, hey, remember that cool thing we did when we were like young? 
could wouldn't it be cool to go back and do it again with this new technology and whatever, like the George Lucas style of filmmaking. And I worry that it's going to be just lame, but I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong because I love the matrix and I want it to be done well and to be done justice too. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but I, I really just hope that they're coming at this with something new and something awesome to show us and not just updated graphics. Yeah, though, that that does have an appeal to me in watching this. And I'm like, oh, imagine what they could do with today's technology, like how much yeah. more they could pull off if they were, you know, have that imagination still to 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 make something awesome. But it's it's a bit of a fine line. As but what are you going to do? Are you going to put like 55 Keanu Reeves and have him do all his martial arts stunts and have it be like super cool? Is that is that what we're going to do? In like a hundred Agent Smiths, and <laughs> like five hundred Agent Smiths. I, uh, it was lame back then when they did that. I what's what's cool? I hate it when a movie, when a when a director or a producer or any you know filmmakers don't understand their own damn movie and what's cool about it. What was cool about the Matrix, at least for me, was having a character undergo this transformation and experiencing this new reality where, you know, the, the lines like, you think that's air you're breathing? Oh, How badass is that line? That's my favorite line in the movie. Yeah. I love it? it. It's such a, it's a, it's a, it's a, the perfect encapsulation of this character experiencing this whole new world and having his mind just blown. Like, holy shit, I did think that was air I was breathing. Mm -hmm. Right. And now I don't. And what does that mean? That's amazing. We're, right. Are we going to get another line like that? We didn't get any of those lines in Reloaded or Revolutions. There was nothing like that. And there were multiple scenes in the original Matrix that were like that. That were just like, holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah, the no spoon. The no spoon. Uh, would you have still broken it had I not said anything? Mm -hmm. uh, there's all kinds of shit that, that's like that. And we and didn't get Oracle, any of that in the sequels. The Oracle told him what he needed to hear. To yeah. get him to do what yeah. he needed to do. So she sort of lied to him, but that's what he needed to hear. He needed to believe he wasn't the one to actually be able to pull it off. Yeah. the um, This book that I've been reading, The Matrix and Philosophy, um, it has uh, a section there where it talks about how that was inspired by um, the, uh, or well, probably inspired by the uh, the whole story of Socrates and the, the Oracle at Delphi. Um, because the actual, um, there actually was a Delphi at the, mount, at the foot of uh, Mount Parnassus, and there was this crack where some kind of gas was um, like leaking up out of the earth, and you would, uh, it would like make you, um, it basically would get you high, and you could, you would like speak in tongues and stuff, and there, so it was this kind of like holy thing where they would have like a, um, like usually I think it was an older woman um, who would basically like who would inhale the fumes, and then there was. You couldn't you couldn't go and actually talk to her, but you could talk to like an interpreter who would um, pretty much tell you what she said or, you know, come up with something. Um, and uh, the that cave where they had that, you know, where the Oracle w was at, they uh, had an inscription of the it was the Greek version the, the what she has on her above her door. The. Uh, um, oh, dang it. I know forgot. Thyself what it, or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it's in Latin. It's uh, I forgot what what it's actually what it actually is, but um, the actual words. But it's uh, it no, means know thyself, and that that there was that was 
and there was an inscription of that at the actual Oracle at Delphi. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, and that, when she, um, so Socrates, um, you know, got his, his, um, got this message from the Oracle that he, um, was that he was the wisest man or something like that. And he was like, what? That can't be. Um, and the whole, the whole thing was he was, you know, obviously he was, um, killed. He had to drink the hemlock. I think it was, um, because he, uh, he was, uh, convicted of corrupting the youth by telling them, you know, these people, these authority figures are not so wise. And, you know, just a few cleverly worded questions can show that people are, are not nearly as smart as they think they are. Um, which is great, obviously a great message, but, uh, but yeah, so that in, in many ways, the, you know, and there's all sorts of philosophical references that we could talk about with this movie, but that is one of the big ones. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that, that Oracle scene, I, I love it. Cause I, I literally just rewatched the movie before we started doing this. Um, and I think, um, I mean, the, the film is very, very, very carefully, um, structured. Everything about it, I think is, is very intentional, but that scene in particular, I think, um, is that was, it's kind of playful in the way that they have like all these little details, um, like, you know, like the hitting the vase and like, she, you know, says, you know, what's really going to bake your noodle is whether you would have broken the vase if I hadn't said anything. And, um, the way that she's inhaling the, 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 the smell of the, um, you know, the, uh, the cookies is kind of like the, the fumes. Um, and, uh, she even, I think she even sits on a three-legged stool, which is like the, the Oracle, I guess, would sit on like a tripod type of thing. Um, and there's even, there's even more details to it than that, I think, but yeah, just her demeanor, the way that, um, and I can't remember the actress's name, but the way that she plays that part is brilliant. Um, and, uh, just all the subtle emotions that she conveys while she's, um, kind of taking him through this, um, you know, everything she's doing is very intentional every little detail you know giving him the cookie um telling him you know you're going to feel better as soon as you start walking or as soon as you walk out of here um you know telling him he's really not the one or he he she kind of says he could be the one if something happens she kind of gives him that like little nod like you've got the gift but you're waiting for something um so she's not really lying to him at all um i don't think and she you know, she tells him exactly what he needs to hear by saying, you know, you're going to have to choose between your life and Morpheus's and everything that happens in the rest of the movie happens because of how she structured that meeting. So in a way it's manipulative, I guess, because like she knows exactly what to say to him and exactly what to do to get him to do the thing. But, uh, but yeah, I just, I just thought that that scene was so well done. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. It, it blows, it, it throws me off though when in the next film when it's like a different person playing yeah. the Oracle. It's sort of like when they, they did the mom switch in, uh, what was it, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, was it? Yeah. I don't remember, but I believe you. Uh, I, <laughs> when they changed the Oracle, uh, in my opinion, for the worst, because this, this scene that you're talking about, Jeremiah, is so fantastic, yeah. so yeah. played so perfectly by that actress. And I know mm -hmm. she died, so they couldn't get her. Right. But... I, I really thought that she brought something kind of just like that wisdom. I, she just feels like that wizened person that knows more than she's letting on and just tells you uh, there's something about the way she played it. That was so perfect for that role in that time and that moment that you, it's just some sort of magic on screen that, yeah, yeah I, it's fantastic. 
And what's great is that like normally that's the point of a movie where it lags. Um, and that is like the slowest moment in the movie, really. I mean, kind of. Um, Cause you know, you're at this point, it's like, he's having this conversation with, with Trinity and then he goes and he's talking to Morpheus and then he goes and talks to her and it's like kind of a slow part of the movie, but you don't notice that it's slow because it's so um, just because there's, it's just pregnant with like all of this, um, you know, foreshadowing, I guess, like you just are like, cause, and they kind of build it up. Like, what is she going to say to him? You know? So you're, yeah, yeah, you're actually fascinated. It's like, yeah, a you're actually like pulled in just by the conversation. So it's a movie, I mean, it's very, very rare for a film to be both um, an excellent action film and also um, to be so good at like those those quite intimate moments. Um, that's almost non-existent. Yeah, <laughs> and even if you're just you're enjoying that scene for, I don't know, just the craftsmanship of that scene, I, it's, you could watch it without any appreciation for all the underlying philosophy. And like you were talking about being uh, similar to the Oracle Delphi, but you could watch that scene and just have a gut instinct that something more is happening in the scene than you understand. Uh, it's, you know, it's deep just by watching it and experiencing it without necessarily knowing what it is. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me, it's just, I, I, there's some kind of magic in that, in that scene. Yeah, some kind of magic I've... in this whole damn movie that has made it still be my second favorite movie of all time, all this time later and having watched how many hundreds of movies and man, even though I will say that I have had mm, 15 years of watching MMA now and the martial arts, you know, looks a little bit hokey and funny now. Uh, there's still some really mm -hmm. cool moments in the martial arts. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of it does feel like, okay, this is a movie fighting. This isn't like real fighting. I don't know what I want. I probably still want some mix of the two, but maybe a little flair, a little spice. I like the flair and the spice, but maybe I want a little bit more realism now that I've understand what real fighting looks like for the most part. I know MMA isn't exactly 100% real fighting with the rules and the gloves and whatnot, but it still looks a whole lot more like real fighting than what's going on in the matrix. Now I understand it's of sci-fi world and you're basically have these super beings fighting each other. So yeah, I give it some leeway in that sense, but some of the punching and the kicking does look a little bit, obviously overly choreographed. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I still love it. I still love it. I, I don't want it to change, but I, I want, well, I, maybe that I, I want it to be a little bit different in the, in the remake. Maybe they'll, they'll take some yeah. influences from MMA. That is one area where I think they could definitely, um, that's definitely an area where they could, uh, um, do something a little bit different. Um, and I hope that they do. Um, I actually had a fact about the, uh, the stunt coordinator, um, this guy by the name of Wu Ping Yuan, if I'm saying that right. Um, he's from Hong Kong and they actually, um, the guy, he, he gave them, um, a ridiculous quote of what, uh, what he was going to require to do, to, to do the movie. Cause he didn't really want to do it. And he thought they wouldn't. Um, and he had some conditions like, you know, he would, he would have to train the actors for like a couple of months before he filming anything. Um, and they've granted every request. So he ended up doing it. Um, yeah. and so they actually put like a shitload of money and time into those scenes to make it, to do that choreography. Um, I think that shows, um, cause, and they do a lot of their own stunts. Um, and it just, yeah, it's just cool. 
Yeah, and there's a great economic lesson in that. And I actually remember that from the behind the scenes stuff where he basically made this exorbitant demand because mm-hmm. he didn't want to do it. So uh, it's it's like a subjective value thing. Like it's worth more to me to not do it, to you know, basically turn this down without saying no. And then if they do say, okay, yes, then it's well worth your time, right? Right. So when my wife was running a salon uh, like 10 years ago, and that was one of the things we talked about was like pricing. Like, do you want more customers or do you want fewer customers, but they're, you know, more important, more willing to, mm-hmm. um, you know, pay a higher price. And then it, it becomes like, okay, I can either not work or I can work and make a fair amount of money. And I've actually applied that in certain things, certain aspects for my day job, where if there's a job that we don't really want to do, I'll just double the price and be like, okay, here's our price. And, uh, you know, no, doesn't hurt me if, if you don't do it that's fine but if you do do it well then yeah everyone's happy yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. way of looking at it um yeah that, that also applies to any right any almost any kind of business right like i know you've mentioned in the past daniel having that you know if you see a kickstarter and you'll see that one dollar level and then you'll see the five dollar and the ten dollar and the twenty dollar then you'll scroll down you'll see like the fifty thousand dollar level and it's like Who's going to do that? But there are a few people. They're like, yeah, 50 grand. And then, sure, I'll do whatever it is I said I would do for 50 grand a pop. I don't care. That's great. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, if I could shift this back to the Oracle scene just a little bit, um, because this plays into the the logic and narrative that they try to build. This entire um, group of humans has been working for a long time trying to find a way to defeat the Matrix. And so they have all these potentials and that's what they, uh, those are the, all those kids that are brought to the Oracle to see if they have the abilities and, and that they might be the one. And they make a point to say that we don't usually free minds older than a certain amount. And that Neo was too old really to be freed, but they somehow knew or, or had discovered that he was more, most likely the one, but like all those other people who had been freed were all little kids. And, I felt like that was a really good allegory to, you know, this is before you're indoctrinated. This is before you've gone through government schools and been, uh, you know, doing the Pledge of Allegiance for 12 years and and been, you know, fully uh, initiated into the church of statism. Uh, So that's another thing I can see, you know, laying my philosophy into the framework that's presented in this film uh, of how people are before they're, uh, overly um, propagandized into something, that's when you still have the potential to reach them. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't I don't think I've ever uh, made that connection before, but... Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm grateful to have been... Um, to, that my brother was a little bit... Um, kind of bonked me over the head when I was probably like um, about 17 or 18, and he's uh, younger than me, like almost a year younger than me. Um, and, uh, you know, I was young enough that I wasn't... It wasn't I mean, you know, obviously it's still been through a lot of indoctrination and it, I did have that kind of an uncomfortable uh, experience um, in a less dramatic way that, that Neo has when he finally realizes the truth and he, you know, uh, throws up and, you know, has to handle it. Um, and, you know, Morpheus, um, and I, I really like that aspect of it that they, um, uh, you know, that that, that they emphasize that because it could have been it's just one of those many things that they could have kind of glossed over that could have just not been done well 
Um, yeah. but they it really been a emphasize- musical montage, right? Like- <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but there's, and I mean, the early part of the, that movie does have like a strong horror element to it, actually. Um, and you kind of forget that because it's an action movie, but you're like, you rewatch it and you're like, this is, pr- there's some pretty disturbing stuff. Like the bug crawling into his stomach. I mean, that's like alien kind of level, um, weirdness. Um, and, uh, yeah, just the like whole, all the, the, the connectors that are really waking disturbing. Up, yeah. Yeah. The whole waking up scene where he's got um, all the, the hoses in him and he's like, takes a thing out of his mouth. And then, yeah, that's, yeah, that's they all really, movie. they really sell that. And he, it's just like, this is a shocking thing for him. And, you know, um, so I love that aspect of it. Cause that is part of that experience. The, the negative aspect of it is like, you know, um, so much of what I, what I thought was true is not true. Um, and you know, I was, I was at a relatively young age when I realized that. Um, so I'm grateful to my brother for that. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, him being in like in his thirties or whatever. Um, that's, that's rough. Yeah. And I like, and this probably ties into the pacing that you were talking about, Robert, where they take half the movie getting to that point where Neo is finally like introduced to here's what's the real world, you know, and well, then yeah, the training I mean, and building it back up. They don't just, you know, musical montage it. Right. And uh, like we've dealt with, I mean, it, it took, how many years for me to come to grips and lose my statism? It it's it's a shocking thing to be confronted with you know these ideas or the truth as we see it and as Neo is exposed to it, it, it he's he rejects it out of hand at first. He's like, "What are you talking about?" Now he's also someone who was open to the idea, right? But the truth is so shocking mm-hmm. that he still has to take his time to come to grips with it, even though he was looking for it the whole time. He does. He wasn't quite prepared mentally for what it actually is, even though he knew he felt something was wrong. He felt yeah, he had that vague like awareness, we, right? Like you and I would come up with these ideas on how to save the world, and it was always like, yeah, but there's always this problem, and then there's that problem, and something doesn't quite feel right, even though I'm not exactly sure. I can't put my finger on it, but it's not quite right. He's in that situation, and then when he's actually confronted with the real truth, it still takes time to for him to really come to terms with everything and then of course then there's cypher who's like yeah i none of this this is all bullshit i still would prefer i i think it's fun um i think and then the later movies come up you know really play with this idea and i don't think in the best way but that even the rebellion is a steam valve and that zion and everything else is still within the matrix or whatever i think that that's the ultimate level of control right where you think you're doing well you're antifa you're fighting the man you're out smashing up windows and breaking things but you're actually still just part of the system and you actually perform an important function in maintaining that system controlled opposition yeah Uh it's uh it's, it's some deep shit no, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. I didn't even think about that angle of it, but yeah, I mean, they and I that was one of that kind of leads into one of the things I was going to ask you guys about, um, as far as the violence um, that that the good guys do perpetrate. Um, you know, they do, um, and I want to talk a little more about Cipher too. But um, you know, they they just shoot up those guards like it's nothing, um, and I I want to say that's the first time where you they are actually like killing actual people um the good guys are like actually killing people which i mean it's it's for what they consider to be a good reason 
but I, I wonder what your guys' take on that is. Like, if, if maybe they should have found a different way, or well, yeah, I mean, I, I, actual th- these are people who are in the pods, right? And they think right. they're in the real world, so they and they do die in the pods as a result of dying in the matrix, right? Right. It's my yeah, understanding so they, of it. Yeah, I, you're right. They don't have any kind of moral qualms with killing these NPC people, even though they're basically living in this manufactured world. They have no real agency of their own, right? They're fully propagandized. Fully propagandized. I I think it might be interesting, maybe for this last movie or this next movie, to play around with that idea. Um, it definitely would probably get in the way of the story in this one. But yeah, I, I want to say that if you're going to be perfectly ethically moral, you might want to use less lethal methods because these people are. They're essentially victims. They, they are. They yeah. are victims of the same machine that they, everyone is. Um, I maybe they're actually making a, liked. Maybe they're making a greater good uh, argument. Like we're going to break this system, but we have to crack a few eggs to do it for the greater good. That argument has been made many times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a terrible argument, but um, man, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. But they do, they do set it up when Morpheus says, these are the minds that aren't ready to be freed and they yeah. are your enemy, but yeah. they're also the victims here. Like you're, these are the minds you're trying to free, but they are your enemy while they're in the matrix. So yeah, and there, is, of- there is no moment though, by the heroes where they're like, yeah, fuck you cop or whatever they're they're, they're, they are fairly sympathetic right they're they're doing it because they have to or they they feel they have to not because they want to that's something i guess now i do appreciate that they openly they openly celebrate that guns save the day they're like yeah we need a whole bunch of guns to go (laughs) see lots of guns yeah we need we just need a lot of guns that's that's the how we win this day and yeah. very a lot of movies, a lot of Hollywood movies do that, but they aren't so openly pro-gun about it. They're like, yeah, we're going to go and save the day with these guns, but th- at no point they're like, well, what we really need is just a lot of guns. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, there is one scene related to that, and that is when they've got the Gatling gun in the helicopter and they're shooting up the the office that they're holding Morpheus. I don't understand how they can fire that many bullets into that space, hitting only agents and not Morpheus. Seems a yeah. little bit of a stretch, but I'll what? grant some plot armor to uh, Fishburn there. Yeah, man. Morpheus has got full-on plot armor. It's all good. Now, did you have a problem with uh, Neo being kissed back to life at the end? Because I know my sister did. She was like, yeah, what's up with that? Kiss of life. That's a bunch of bullshit. I... I tend to give this movie such a pass that it didn't really bother me at all, but I could see how that might bother somebody that didn't love this movie as much as I did. Yeah. It's a, it's a Hollywood thing. I think Um, there's a couple of those little, you know, like you said, with the plot armor, I mean, there's certain things like that where they're trying to, um, you know, it was the right moment for like a big, like epic love, you know, um, love scene type of thing. Um, Like this is all about love, you know, Um, it's very Hollywood, but it didn't really bother me. It, it, I'm okay with it because it's sort of that moment, it's the inflection point where Neo realizes that he doesn't have to physically die in the real world because he dies in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And so 
he wasn't he was only mostly dead, right? <laughs> yeah. He's only mostly dead and he's kissed back to life to be reminded in some way of hey, what dummy. is real. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so then he can uh reincarnate or reanimate within the matrix itself and then the agents are no no big deal to him. You can just like fight him off with one hand, barely paying attention because now he is adapted to the environment to such an extent that he can stop the bullets and he can uh, manipulate the things that are going on around him. So he has broken through whatever barriers were the rules of that structure that he was buying into still. So I, I can kind of buy into this, but then it doesn't make me think that the next two movies are even really possible if you've now got Neo fully you know like if, if he's realized this power then how how do you even have the the follow-up movies beyond this yeah good yeah, question he's, he's, he's just so overpowered at that point uh, you turn him into this mega superman character how do you have any kind of dement- tension because what they ended up doing obviously was cloning agent smith a whole bunch of times and it just looked silly it uh, you know it, it's it's neo versus 500 smiths and then they could both fly and they like go super cyan style in the last one. Uh, I mean, the, the, the architect is kind of interesting in that there's maybe not multiple realities, but there's like multiple timelines or repetition. It's, it's like groundhog day slash uh, never tomorrow, whatever it is, edge of tomorrow, where it's the same Neo going through the same process hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times so in fact neo isn't a real person he is also a program right right i assume right this is all super fuzzy it's it's really yeah and i'm sure we'll get into it more when we do those movies but yeah and i don't know i know you guys are gonna do animatrix i for whatever reason i've never gotten around to watching that but i think that's more of like a prequel thing so i don't know if it answers some of these questions but I, i am curious um about like how is it? Why did more? Why did Morpheus pick this John Anderson fellow, um, Neo? You know, um, and how is it that the? Um, I mean, like Tank and Dozer are genuine children of Zion, all that, and I guess Morpheus too. Um, but if uh, or no, Morpheus isn't. Yeah, he gets plugged yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there, uh, I'm curious about like how this crew, like kind of what that story is of that crew being put together. Like how, why? Why did these people get jacked out of the Matrix? And how, and you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if the animatrix answers some of those questions, but I'm curious about that story. Yeah, that's yeah, all fuzzy was, to me as well. Yeah, I know there was a big push with a bunch of different video games that also kind of this is like the real cross promotion, cross media push. Um, I think when Revolutions or maybe it was when Reloaded came out, I think it was probably Reloaded that they made some stuff that you had to play through all the stuff and do all the things, and then it mm. kind of told a more of a co- coherent story, oh, okay. but. I, I've seen the Animatrix, and I don't think that you're right. There is it is all prequely stuff, more explaining how uh, the machines rose up and how poorly they were treated at the beginning, like slaves, and then why they rose up and whatever. Um, I don't think it goes into the story of the of this crew, but I know that uh, oh, there's a the video game prior to Reloaded. If you played through the video game, it led right up to the beginning of Reloaded. I, I want to say I'm really a little bit fuzzy on that, but hmm. um, yeah, well, anyway, 
well, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that when we do that stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. there's like five or six uh, little mini episodes in Animatrix. So when we do that one, we're going to have to talk about each one. Yeah, but those are really well done. I want to say that some really talented manga and anime uh, directors did those. I don't know if they were all written by the Wachowskis or had a lot of input from them, but I remember them being quite impressive visually for the time. So, yeah, it's all it's all a little fuzzy since I haven't seen any of these in like 15 years. But um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to bring up the cipher discussion because we are getting a little bit long and I, I feel like we could talk another two hours on this. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, we won't be able to. But uh, Jeremiah, I know you had a few notes on cipher and uh, I want to pose to Robert before we get into that. I know, Robert, when you and I kind of went on our. We took the red pill in our in our in our minds. Yes, and you ruined were, my life. Yes, yeah, yeah. There were moments where you were like, "Yeah, this has ruined my life." So you almost had your cipher moments. Where you're like, "I want to go back to not knowing. I want to go back to tasting a steak." Yeah, there's that meme that's like, "What if? What if I could tell you you could lose all your friends, and then I'll just introduce you to libertarianism and whatever it was, and you'll make new friends, but they'll be internet friends because how many libertarians are there now?" I mean, there's more than there were back when Murray Rothbard could fit them all in one room. But and it is a growing philosophy, but it's still it's still very much not normie friendly. Right. I mean, there's there's don't get me wrong. If you talk to the average conservative, I think like real conservative, not the Republican, but conservative, they're very much amenable to our ideas. They're like, oh, yeah, government's garbage. What are you talking about? They lie to us all the time. Mainstream media lies to you all the time. I'm with you 100%. And then you work from those commonalities and say like, well, I'm also against war and this is why. And it's like, yeah, government lies to you. They lies in the war all the time. It's like super easy, barely an inconvenience about, you know, connecting with those people. But for a lot of people, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, uh, a lot of your relatives are very much going to be progressive lefty type people because they're going to watch the mainstream media and they're going to identify and agree with a lot of the mainstream CNN, MSNBC narrative. And that is going to strain your relationships. And you're going to be the weird uncle that, you know, especially during the evangelical phase where you're going to want to talk politics and make everybody uncomfortable. And it's just going to strain all those relationships. And especially since there's a whole lot of young, hot, progressive women that uh, were in the dating pool that are still in the dating pool and they're almost like, man, that's really not interesting anymore. Like I, I think I've mentioned this in the past that, you know, you see a lot of these women on these dating apps and they've got their, you know, pro vax, you know, thing around their face, their profile face, and they're all wearing the masks and their sexy poses and stuff like that. And for me in my world right now, you know, I still remember the lefty side of me that's like, yeah, that's the science. What are you talking about? Of course, you're going to wear a mask and you're going to be pro-vax and all this. And I remember that Robert very clearly and having and no problem with that, 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 that woman there in that in that pose and being like that. And I would have been still very attracted to that person. But today's Robert, I'm like, that is gross. I don't want anything. I that that mindset is so alien to me. You know, just because I associate 
a whole lot of obeying authority to that. It's not just that she celebrates vaccines and she's hoping to get back to her previous life of being able to do things and be, wearing a mask allows her to still live her life a little bit. It's, it's more of that mindset of, well, I'm going to be, do what I'm told. That's what's really gross to me. And it's all over the place. So yeah, you've ruined my life, Daniel. Thank you. <laughs> Would I go back? No, I think my life is better now than it was then. I think I, I have a clearer understanding of what my rights are and that I'm a sovereign individual and that I own myself and it, the world is, makes more sense to me. It's still a crazy world, but from my perspective, I am at peace with myself. Whereas before I think my thoughts, you know, there's so many contradictions in the, the average progressive lefty's mind, all these things that you gotta be like, they have no principles, you know, from in this sense, they're just all about power and, when it comes to this story, as long as it furthers their agenda, they're for it. But when somebody else does it, they're against it. And it, it's got to be, it's got to be the cognitive dissonance has got to, it's got to make them feel weird on some level. You know what I'm saying? It's just got to be. Yeah, so maybe bizarre. they have that that splinter in their mind that they can't quite grapple with, but then they're so distracted by the propaganda and the echo chamber that they can kind of drown it out. Yeah. Yeah. And they just move on to the next issue and the next issue and the, the next, next outrage, issue. the next outrage. Yeah. And they forget what they said a week ago because now they're the progressivism moves even further forward. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't, I, I, I echo your criticisms, but I wouldn't only isolate them to progressives. Obviously I think that conservatives, Republicans, et cetera, also have their own contradictions. Uh, Bob Murphy had really great episodes on his podcast where he did, you know, Serious questions for conservatives, and it was like fifteen, you know, bada 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 bada, you know, uh, contradictions for them, and then a whole another episode for for progressives, and it was like, yeah, these things don't reconcile. But yeah, with conservative, I think you have a chance at that's going to actually bother them. Whereas, right, it's less of a and, chance uh, and a lot of that way. comes from a religious upbringing, and not necessarily being beholden holding the state higher than the religion, but. I'm right. Exactly. 100% sure on exactly all the reasons. Well, I'll find those and put those on the show notes page because I think that they are really good. I'm a big fan of uh, Mr. Robert P. Murphy. So go to lastnighters.com slash 174 and you'll find links to those uh, once I find them and post them up on here. But uh, Jeremiah, let's get your notes and, and your commentary on the cipher phenomenon. And, and maybe, you know, if, if you also see what we've seen with uh, basically, you know, engaging with uh, the NPC types with the blue pills. Yeah. Um, well, the cipher thing, he, uh, I think, um, one thing I love in a villain is, um, that you, that their motivations are, is, are as understandable as the motivations of the heroes. Um, so it's like, I think probably a good example of that would be, um, in the movie Skyfall, um, Javier Bardem's character, I can't remember the name of the character, but he's like, you know, he's like this psychopath and, um, he has this kind of like whole, um, story about how he like was really messed up by this like cyanide, um, pill thing that was supposed to kill him, but didn't. And like, you just, you feel really bad for him and it's like, yeah, yeah what he's doing kind of makes sense from his perspective. Um, 
And, uh, but that I feel that way about Cypher because, um, it's like when he's sitting there eating that steak that, that does look delicious. Um, you know, it, 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 they do a really good job of, of, uh, giving that they kind of like almost steel man, the blue pill perspective a little bit because it's like, um, you know, yeah, it's so much easier, um, to just like, uh, go i mean in that you know in the context they built up it's like yeah it would be a lot easier just to like be live in the matrix and be whatever like maybe you'll have the splinter in your mind but you can kind of just ignore it and actually um i've been listening to a lot of jordan peterson lectures lately and there's a bunch of things that like he's he's so like um he's so broad and deep that like you find you just automatically i find myself just automatically applying his ideas to like everything and i'm like yeah that did give me a little bit of insight in that um but uh but he had this, um, he made this point about how like, you know, you're, it's uncomfortable to be like in an existential crisis and, you know, um, to not know quite what you're doing or what's true, but you know, what's, what's meaningful to you, but it's like, you don't want the responsibility of, or it's easier to go through life without shouldering that responsibility that goes along with actually, um, you know, building a meaningful life. Um, because there's so many things where you have to be like, okay, I have to like set these boundaries and I have to maybe, maybe I have to, um, form this relationship or, or, end this relationship, or maybe I have to, you know, um, do things I really don't want to do. And he always talks about how you have to look in places, you know, the, what you need most is in the place you least want to look, which is a quote he got from Jung. Um, but, uh. But yeah, so I'm, and I, so I understand where Cypher's coming from when he's like, you know, I'm eating the same crap every day. I'm in this like cold ship and it's just like this life sucks. Um, and he hasn't been able to find, um, for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to, um, you know, the meeting hasn't met up with the the level of responsibility or, or what he's had to go through. So he's just done with it. Um, and I, you know, it, it's understandable. I mean, obviously he's, you know, villain and does ends up doing terrible things. And I would like to think that I'm not that kind of person. Um, but as Jordan Peterson also says, you, you maybe you are that kind of person. So you kind of have to figure that out. Um, and that's involves really going to dark places within yourself. Um, so yeah. Um, it's, uh, I, yeah, I love the way that he, that Joe Pantoliano plays that character. And there's a lot of little things like rewatching the movie. I noticed like, um, there's so many things there's you, him being the villain is totally given away when he drops his phone into this like garbage bin, but it's like a really quick thing. And most people probably don't notice it the first time they watch it. Um, but in addition to that, there's like so many little like um, nods or like little things he'll do, even like facial expressions or like just kind of the way he talks to Trinity, which is kind of creepy. Um, there's just like these little things that are um, that foreshadow that he's the going to be the, he's going to betray everybody, but he's just n- normal enough that they don't, they don't, catch on to it yeah um, like when, when neo uh kind of sneaks up on him and he quick uh changes the screen to something else because he probably had something up he shouldn't have had sort of like you know i've done that when i worked in an office environment looking at some non-work related thing and then somebody sneaks up on you like quick alt tab oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he has that moment where he's, he's like you scared the bejesus out of me um but yeah i yeah that's just another one of the many great things about the movie um Cause you do. Yeah. I don't know. And I love steak and that steak looked like it was a perfect medium rare. So, um, That's right. that just, just really, it sells it for me. 
still 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 could walk across the room. Right. Um, the one thing about the cipher making that deal, he loses all leverage once he gives up the information, and he would have no reason to believe that the agents would in fact plug him back in. Once he has done yeah. his thing, he is a disposable, useful idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he needs to hang on to something. He has to. Otherwise, yeah, there's no... I mean, I know he says he wants to remember nothing once they plug him back in, but how did they... Did they go over exactly how he would be plugged back in? I, it didn't even look like so. they had the a, a process for doing that. They had every process of eliminating people when they were dead or understood to be otherwise or whatever. But Yeah, they'd silent green him feed him to the yeah i mean it could have been just a purely an empty promise and he's just so desperate to get out that he would pretty much just rather almost commit suicide at this point i think that's probably where he's at i mean honestly so. that's probably like it doesn't advance the movie but uh i could see somebody in that position yeah like would you rather do that or rat out all of these people to their certain death and then right. resign the entire you know balance of humanity to this uh slavery system that you know this is the the only or last best chance to to defeat yeah, it. yeah that's you know, even another layer where it's like he really is just uh he really just gives zero fucks at that point <laughs> he is he is the guy that became a libertarian and then went back yeah he's like yeah it sucks over here there's no women i'm out <laughs> <Yeah>. of here <laughs> There's one woman and she doesn't have any interest in me. She's in love with this other guy. So fuck this. I'm out. Yeah, it was and like that, uh, status. It's, that it's one a, uh, anarchist dating app, right? It was like one or like a dozen women and like a thousand guys. And <laughs> yeah, even I think some of those women were fakes too. So yeah, it's it's bad. It's real bad. You have to go with the amenable uh, conservative or you know non very political people. And they're open to your ideas. So this is the dating advice uh, column with uh, with Robert <laughs> here. <laughs> All <Listen>. right, so <laughs> I'm listening. It's important information. Well, we should put this behind the paywall. This important information. This should be the Patreon stuff. Go to last night's golf class Patreon and get all of Robert's dating advice. All right. Did 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 he mention he has a girlfriend? He mentioned it in the pre-show like Listen, a dozen I've got times. Got a girlfriend. Okay, I He's know. Got a girlfriend. All right. <laughs> all right. So uh, we've been going for already over an hour hour and 20 minutes so we are going to need to start winding things down and i know there's like a million more things we could talk about so that's one of the things i was afraid of with this movie yeah. i like my dumb comedies where i have like two or three points to make and you know we can ham fist an episode out of it uh this thing is just so big and so much to take on so we're gonna have to continue the conversation i think um maybe in some post-show bonus content and then also as we talk in future episodes in the coming weeks on the other movies robert you and i can kind of come up with a few more things that we recall related related to this movie um because i want everyone's take on this one because i think this really is the this is the masterpiece essentially you know the rest of the movies just kind of exist and it continues some things not so well. I, I like to say that uh, Reloaded is a halfway good movie, and then it gets real weird and, and not so good. Um, but I'll watch it again, and, and we'll figure that out. But let's let's cover off any final notes that you just you got to get out there uh, within the episode, uh, Jeremiah. Oh, um, actually, I did have a couple things that we didn't quite get to. Um, 
just real quick, I thought it was cool that they did like the little um the, when uh, Neo and um Agent Smith are fighting toward the end, um, and they're in like the subway station or whatever. There's like a newspaper that flies in between them, like a tumbleweed and a western. Yeah. Um, I, and I thought it's it was one of the moments in the movie. There's a few like that where it's kind of like gives like a, just a little bit of levity because it is a very serious movie. Um, and so I thought that was a nice little addition. Um, and there's a lot of stuff like that where it's just um. Like I said, this movie kind of shouldn't have worked because there's so many disparate influences being kind of crammed together. It's like somehow it's a kung fu movie, but it's also a, it's like a cyberpunk movie, and it's also like a like western, a, a dystopian horror movie. And it's like you could just go on. It's like in, influenced by like anime and, um, but, um, so that that's impressive. Um, and uh, I wanted to mention that there was um the book um. I don't know if you guys noticed the book that he has like cut out that has like his like secret stuff in Simulacra it. and Simulacrum, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Simulacra and Simulation um, by Jean Baudrillard. I haven't read it, but from what I've read it um, about it, it seems like um, it's uh, that was probably a lot of the inspiration as far as um, the idea that like there's all this because the, the, the Matrix is basically symbols. It's it's kind of everywhere. There's like always these symbols. Like the very beginning of the movie, you're always seeing the, the you know, Tank is always staring at all this code on the screen, all this kind of stuff. And that book is all about how, like, you know, we're not really looking at anything in the modern world. We're not really looking at anything real anymore to to, an, to some extent. Like it's so many things are uh, mass produced and, and artificial. Um, and uh, not not that I don't like capitalism, but it's uh, it's just an interesting thing to note that um, that that was um, probably part of the inspiration. Um, and actually. Uh, um, it was required reading with the Cassie's made the, like a lot of the main actors read that book. And, uh, even, uh, Keanu Reeves, they had him read some other stuff too, like on like evolutionary psychology and like some other stuff. And so I just thought it was interesting that they're like clearly well-read and they know all the classic philosophy. Um, and they made people read it for, for the movie and wanted to make sure that was the other thing they wanted to make sure that they could explain what the matrix what matrix was in their own words. Because when they were actually like pl playing their parts, they they really needed to have an understanding of how they fit into it to make it all kind of make sense. Because it could very easily be confusing. Um, I would think if you when you're making a film like that, it's like, wait, is this, you know, the Matrix or like what? How should I be acting? I here? like that. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that brings the cohesion. Right. They all have that same kind of ability to articulate the understanding of the logic of, right. of the story. Um. And I also noted that it, it's kind of structured like a superhero origin story. Um, if you kind of like map that onto like one of the Marvel movies, it's pretty pretty similar. Like the overall beats, like kind of the the, the pacing of it and everything. Um, a lot of it is like you know, there's always that little kind of like training montage, you know, and that's there's one of those in this movie, and there's the point where he's just like doing like incredible things at the end, um, and that was kind of before the superhero genre it really blew up. It was before the MCU was a thing. Um, so I just thought that was interesting that they kind of did that. They yeah, kind it's of like, like the first good superhero that. movie since, uh, like yeah. Reeve Superman. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, every, I think that's all I got. Uh, my favorite movie, I give it a 10 <laughs> or what, 10, uh, what are we doing? 10 codes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 10, I don't, codes. 10 women in red dresses yeah there you go <laughs> 10 flip phones <laughs> yeah something like that well yeah that that's actually almost a, a good uh, final summary review and, and thank you for uh 
throwing your score out there already. So you give it a perfect 10. Yep. I, but, I can't give it anything less. I just can't think of any reason to. All right. Very good. Uh, Robert, you want to get into your final summary and review? And then I guess we're going to have to save some additional content for uh, the, the, the paying public. I'm going to sneak in one last comment about the movie uh, that we didn't get to. Uh, the virus speech by Agent Smith when he's talking to Morpheus. Uh, I couldn't help but comment just a little bit about He's that. not wrong. <laughs> well, he is wrong. I'm glad um, you brought that up. I, I forgot to bring it up. So he, he compares human beings to a virus. I, he says that every mammal instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the environment. I would expand that to every living thing. Every living thing develops a natural equilibrium, not because they care about equilibrium. It's because there are checks on their abilities. They want to be as successful as possible. Every living thing wants to live and live forever and pass on its DNA and do all the things. But there are natural limits and there are opposing elements that are always competing with people to be able to do things or organisms to be able to do things and be successful. So when he says that every mammal isn't a virus, it's because they're not as successful as human beings are. Human beings are only somewhat similar to a virus because we're awesome. We are the best ass kickers. We make the best stuff. We have mastered all environments for the most part. I mean, we don't naturally want to live in Antarctica, but we could. We don't like necessarily want to live next to a volcano, but we could. Like in Hawaii. That's right. We're just awesome because we got these big brains. We get the big brains. We can think of all the stuff and we take advantage of the division of labor. Whereas, you know, I guess lions do to some extent. He's got his like, he pimps out all the, the lionesses to do all his work for him. I mean, there are elements of it, but we're the best at it. And I'm not going to apologize for being the best. That's just not something I'm interested in doing. Well, I think now, Smith is right in when it's directed under the guise of the state, then it is far more destructive and it goes beyond the equilibrium that would be found in voluntary interactions. Fair point. Fair point. Although I have one more criticism of his speech. I think oh, I, I, like do your, too. I, I like your element there, but when he says that human beings go to an area and then use up all the resources, it's, it's it was like some kind of dumb critique of capitalism. Like that. We're just like, suck up all the resources like we're some vacuum cleaner and that doesn't speak to how capitalism actually works because people still want to make money they're gonna grow trees they're gonna develop new technologies that allow us to get energy out of other things uh the ever inventive mind of humanity yes we do consume resources but we also renew them. We also develop new technologies that allows us to use other resources. So it's not like human beings spread to a new area and then oop, we have we've developed it's just this barren wasteland now, and we have to expand beyond that in order to even survive. Yeah, it's not no, the Lorax. It's... We're not the Lorax. Thank you. Same criticisms to that dumb movie apply here. Uh, human beings are big brains. And we use them effectively. We're not perfect. Never said we were, but we're the best example of intelligence on this planet that we know of. All right. So here's my my other critique of Agent Smith's speech. What is the AI doing? They're doing the exact same thing. He's being very hypocritical. They have 
taken over the entire planet and have enslaved the entire human race, save for, you know, the, the handful of people in Zion. They have extracted every ounce of resources on the planet. So mm. Agent Smith is being rather hypocritical here. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah, he's just trying to be uh trying to do his intimidating bad guy thing and in um, this zoo. Yeah. It's the smell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robert, final summary review. Okay. Uh what can I say about the Matrix? It's my second favorite movie of all time. Yes, I have a girlfriend. It's awesome. <laughs> it's it's still to this day, yes, the graphics are going to look worse. The special effects are just they're going to age. That's just the way it is. Uh they didn't do everything practically. There is um like the spoon bending looks not good. There's, you know, the the bullet time animations, they're going to look worse. Uh, because we've improved with our big brains and we've made things look, be able to look even better. But at the time, holy smokes, my mind was blown at the time and it's still a fantastic film. They didn't just rely on a, all special effects to impress everybody. They had an amazing story to go along with it that holds up to this very date. Now, were they inspired by all the classics? Absolutely. It's a hero's story. It's a hero's journey that is very familiar it's used by, like Jeremiah was saying, with all the, the Marvel movies, you've, you've got a, a hero that is very much in his normal element, not a hero. And then he is exposed to this new knowledge and he undergoes through this training and he goes through all these trials and ultimately he emerges on the other end transformed. It's a classic story and it speaks to the human condition and that's why it's so popular. And the storytelling itself, uh, the, the, the finale the end uh the converging elements of neo the tension inside the matrix and he's got to get out before these sentinels come in and kill everybody it's it's fantastic uh how can i give this anything but man what did i give i gave uh, casablanca like a 9.5 can i give my second favorite movie of all time a perfect 10 I, i've never given a perfect 10 never <laughs> so what i'm gonna do is cheat I'm going to cheat and give this 9.9. It's what I'm going to do. It's my highest rated movie that we've ever done. But it's not a perfect 10, probably for some dumb reason that I've nitpicked about. But it's so, so good still to this day. 2021 Robert says it's a 9.9 for him today. It's so damn good. Endlessly rewatchable. Uh, hopefully the, the new movie that comes out, uh, it does it some justice. But I don't think that they can necessarily like improve upon this. It's so good. Right. And I think you can take that tenth of a point off for having the sequels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So very good. 9.9. .9 and and uh, Jeremiah, you said 9.5. Is that right? You gave it a 10, no. Daniel. Oh, I'll 10. 10. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about my score, which will be a 9.5 for this. Uh, it okay. holds up. Really well, the narrative is very strong. Um, a lot of the points that Jeremiah, you brought up, give me a new appreciation for what helps make this so good. If, if all of the major players can articulate and understand the common vision or the common story at play here, then it makes sense that they're going to be able to do a better job at it. And it also is a movie that doesn't necessarily rely on the performances of the characters to be particularly outstanding for it to still be good. Um, I think that it's such a strong strongly built story and they have such a, a, a nice world that they've built for us that you can totally buy into it. And you can also apply 
yourself into it, or you can project yourself and your thinking and philosophy into it and identify with it, with it in so many ways and, and intentional or not. Um, I think it really makes this stand the test of time and become a, a classic film almost, uh, when it came out. Um, I can't think of another movie that has as much of an impact, um, on cinema that I'm familiar with. Uh, I mean, there's star Wars and then there's this one. Uh, and you know, there was of course great movies in the eighties and the nineties, but, but these two really stand out uh, as far as being watershed moments in changing how cinema works. And, uh, so for that, I'm going to give it a 9.5. Uh, it's, it's still holds up, you know, it's a little bit dated, like Robert was saying, but it still is entertaining. It still, uh, is, is a journey worth watching and you can find different things in it, uh, as you rewatch it and, and as you evolve as a person and as you develop your own thinking and philosophy, uh, you can see different elements and nuances in this one. So uh, really, really well done. Uh, and I'm I'm a little bit wary of what they're going to do uh, in this reboot or, or uh, fourth uh, extension of it. But uh, I am hopeful that it will be something that sort of Blade 2049, Blade Runner 2049 is it, where it's, it's a nice, like, almost for the fans um, service. You know, it maybe if they Snyder cut the thing a little bit, you know, then, then maybe it's got a shot at being good. So hopefully. Yeah, but the t- Blade Runner 2049, wasn't that done by like a really good director? Yes. And I just, I just yeah, it was don't know. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, that guy, he's like. Same guy who did Arrival, really, which is a great movie. And he's just like really talented, really knows what he's doing. I, I worry that Wachowski just, he's not quite on that level. Well, this is just to be one one Wachowski, right? Right, and maybe maybe the other guy was holding it down or girl, whatever. But uh, we'll see, we'll see. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to, and I'm also looking forward to further discussion uh, on the Matrix and Matrix related things uh, next week when we do Matrix Reloaded with Pat McFarlane of Liberty Weekly. He's been on the show so many times. He's he's. He's almost been on, on as much as Mike C, who was on last week, for another movie that had a lot of meaning and symbolism and nuance, and you could apply different things and how you look at it with uh, the Kubrick film, I was Eyes Wide Shut. You can do that with almost any Kubrick film. Uh, but uh, it, it's uh, it's a lot of deep, deep thinking stuff these uh, last couple of weeks and next couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Now, before that, uh, and this is mostly because I had already scheduled some guests Uh, and some movies related to those particular guests before I conceived of the concept matrix. So we're going to do a few specials this, this month. So uh, Cinco de Mayo, we're going to be doing Desperado with the purveyor of peddling fiction. So that will technically be our next release after this one. Uh, And that'll come out on Cinco de Mayo. And then the, um, the episode with Pat McFarlane will be on our regular release schedule. And then we'll do uh, Matrix Revolutions with Mike C. He'll be re- returning. And then we're going to be doing Animatrix the week after that with uh, Ryan Jones, who was on for Logan and uh, Watchmen and Selma, I want to say. Um, and he, he was a really good, uh, really good guest. We had a lot of good conversation with him. So I'm excited to have him back. He's a bit of a comic book guy. And so I thought that's why Animatrix kind of fit in with, uh, with him. So uh, with all of those shows, I want to talk also about the original here and get their takes on it and then what they think uh, might be happening with the new one that comes out later this year. I think it's scheduled for release in December of this year. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. Uh, it, 
hopefully the uh, you know the pre-release like hype stuff. This 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 franchise definitely has its hardcore fans. Uh, not not to the level of Star Wars, but maybe we can keep it going with this next movie. Uh, there's definitely going to be a whole lot of buzz. Uh, as long as the the pre-release stuff looks good, that I know a lot of studios like to do that with you know on-set photos and little little teasers and that sort of thing to generate hype. But hopefully, it'll uh, all look good. All right. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again, Jeremiah, for coming on and taking the red pill with us tonight in in our dream world. And uh, we will, of course, have links to your podcast. And I, I hope you do get it uh, launched again or relaunched. Uh, some reloaded. Reloaded. Yes. How could I miss that? Jeez, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting so old. Yeah, get that thing reloaded up there. Uh, in the meantime, people can check out your 25 episodes that, that exist on there. And, and again, one of my favorites was uh, on the Cable Guy, the Jim Carrey movie. Yeah, and, you guys uh, gave that one a bump. I noticed uh, in the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I think I remember we talked about it um, on something. I, I've been wanting to do that movie, but then you guys did it, and it was like, what? What? I can't top that. It's so good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, people can check that out. Go to lastnights.com slash one seven four. You can find a link uh, to those episodes by Jeremiah, our guest, and also the the two uh, Bob Murphy episodes that we talked about, where the hard questions for progressives on hard questions for conservatives. I think those are really well done and uh, worth worth checking out. So. Uh, we'll be back next week, like I said, with, um, well, two episodes uh, coming your way. So we're going to be doing Desperado and also The Matrix Reloaded. And uh, with that, we'll say goodnight from last night, everyone. Peace out.